This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 18, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New for this year, 2017 opening day rosters, historic Negro League integration, run the ultimate what-if scenarios, tournaments, fall leagues, a redesigned injury system, an improved 3D game, real-time presentation, and game highlights, improved player morale, and team chemistry, and so much more. Out of the Park Baseball 18 has the full sleeper in the bust stamp of approval. We all play it and have for years. Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bust podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, and just enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bust, indie sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 18. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER18 at checkout for a special discount and to support our show. Guys, I, I'm obsessed with this game. It is so much fun. Um, I played a lot of OTP17. You guys have heard me talk about my Twitch streams, twitch.tv slash peacefor24. I was streaming my 17 franchise over there. I, I, I did a fantasy draft in 1995. I was able to get Ken Griffey Jr., and Pedro Martinez. I don't know what the computer was thinking there, uh, letting letting both of those guys get there. I took Pedro with my first pick, and then and then got Ken Griffey Jr. I haven't started my new eighteen one for um, for streams yet, but I'm going to. And I'm actually just gonna gonna start over. I, I I won the World Series that first year with the with the seventeen team, but I'm gonna start a new one. We'll do the draft at some point soon, so stay tuned for that. But out of the park is is just so much fun. You've heard me talk about. Uh, other baseball video games I like, they're, they're two different experiences. This is the sim, in-depth, management sort of deal, and then the other game is, is playing. So um, I absolutely love this game. One last time, ootpdevelopments.com. Sleeper18 is, is your discount code. Uh, that lets them know that we, that we sent you there, and they give you a little bit of uh, a little bit off the top as well. If you do play the game, let me know. Let me know what you're doing with it. Let me know what, uh, what team you're going with, whether you're starting historically or going from now. Uh, if you do the fantasy draft, hit me up on Twitter, at Spora. I love kind of seeing how people go because it, it doesn't just play out 100% to, to history. Things can change and you can have guys you know you can have a failed prospect that actually pans out for you so i I love seeing that stuff definitely hit me up there um and 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 thanks for supporting the show by by going to ootpdevelopments.com Welcome to episode 476 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, July 5th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, we're coming at him on a Wednesday because we are making up for missing last week. How's it going, man? It's going well. It's going well. I'm uh, I'm ready to uh, to do some baseball. Sorry about missing last week. It was just uh, one of those things we're trying to hold together plans while you're on vacation, work vacation, like we said. We... Uh, we don't it's really no get problem. to take full vacations, and yeah, but so I mean, sometimes it, every, every once in a while something drops out like that. With everything so. you were doing, 
it was no problem. I gave them three hours solo talking starting pitchers like crazy. So they, you know, most people didn't listen to that in one sitting unless they're <laughs> crazy people. So they were able to break that up. Kind of got two episodes. And then I had Ian Kahn uh, on Saturday filling in for Jason, who was also out doing some, some family stuff for the, uh, for the holidays. So I hope you had a good holiday weekend. Uh, we are going to talk some uh, some baseball today, though. I think that's what we're going to do. We're changing up the podcast. We're going to talk baseball today. Okay. So, I know. It's oh, going to be serious. interesting. I'm throwing some crazy stuff at you. <laughs> uh, we will have a question today. We're going to talk some hitters uh, and some pitchers. We're going to go a little bit uh, positive with some SPs who are doing some things. And then maybe let's talk about some of the negative hitters, some guys that are struggling, kind of get your take on where they're at the rest of the year because, I mean, it's no longer a slow start. It's no longer, hey, you know, he's just going to turn. It's still a – in the grand scheme, yes, 81 games is still a small sample. But in terms of this season, we're beyond that. And people are going to have to start making moves on some of these guys that they thought were going to actually be kind of cornerstones of their team. So let's start with the question of the day, Uh, a little bit positivity on the hitting. Uh, These first basemen are out of their mind this year. We've talked about it, how – we came in thinking it was going to be a down position. It's been anything but. And we've got five guys here that are just crushing the ball. Justin Smoke hit his 23rd homer today. Logan Morrison and Cody Bellinger both have 24. Eric Thames also has 23 after a two-homer day on the, on the 4th of July. And Yonder Alonso, our boy we've talked about a lot, has 19 with a two-homer day himself yesterday. So my question to you is of these five first basemen, who hits the most home, run the rest, most home runs the rest of the way? You know, I, I think that it's easy to pull out. I always sort of go to the negative and be like, okay, yeah, who's you, last? You eliminate first, <laughs> yeah, which is a good so, way to do it, process of elimination. Yeah, so I'm going to take Yonder Alonso out. Um, he has the least, uh, the fewest amount of expected home runs on X-Stats, and he also has the fewest barrels uh, on Baseball Savant, at least barrels per batted ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that those are two measures that take their launch angle and exit velocity and try to account for quality. So though Yonder is hitting the ball more often in the air, uh, I think he's been a little bit extreme in in that in that work. So sometimes he hits them too too high, and um, he doesn't he didn't come in with the kind of bat speed I think that I think like Cody Bellinger has. Yeah, so Few I think came in with the bat speed of, right. of Cody Bellinger. In some ways, he's cool because you know he's going to have the best contact rate, and so maybe he'll put more balls in play. Oh, okay. So he's got four, five, four, five. Alonzo has four, five more than uh, than than the numbers would normally suggest. Okay. Okay. It's really hard not to, man. The guy's amazing. <laughs> He's absolutely ridiculous. Now, the thing of it is, what I want to be cautious of myself personally, because I will, I, I got so wasted. You guys know I don't drink really, but I got so wasted on the Eric Thames Kool Aid um, that I want to be careful not to do the same thing with Bellinger, right? I'm still happy with everything Thames is giving, you know, there's no way it's, it's going to be virtually impossible for him not to be a net positive this year. But I thought with a lot of the changes he made, he was I, basically what I, I it finally clicked what I, what I had for them. 
I thought Thames was going the Aaron Judge route, and I thought Judge would be more Thamesy, where he would have some some lulls and still be you know still doing some things since his hot April, but not elite level player the way uh, the way Judge has been. So I had those two reversed, and I want to be careful not to get too crazy on the end uh, of of saying that Bellinger's going to be another Judge because those are just so rare. So what do you really see from from Bellinger the rest of the way? Well, you know, he he's atop the expected home run leaderboard um, of the group, you know, up there with, uh, you know, Thames is around 20, Bellinger's at, you know, 22, and then Logan and Morrison are, are right there at, like, 21, 22. So it's like they're all bunched together. However, um, just for I Logan Morrison's like, sake, can you let me know where Gary Sanchez is on the expected home? Yeah, hey, oh. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Moving <laughs> but uh, let me uh, let me actually do this again. Uh, working on an X stats thing, and um, someone else is on my spreadsheet. How dare they? Uh, so yeah, so the actual list is Bellinger at 21.5, okay. um, Smoke at 21.4. Uh, this is expected home runs, and Thames at nineteen point six, and Lorison at nineteen. Okay, so, so they again, are in a tight group. I'm, it's a tight group, and Yonder is below that at fourteen. So it's easy to take him out. Thames is actually very similar to Yonder in terms, in some, in a lot of terms, and then he has the nice home park, so that that pulls him above. I, if I'm going to look at Thames and Logan Morrison as being somewhat similar, then I'm going to take that Milwaukee park over the Tampa park. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Thames rises out of that other group. So now we've got Thames, Bellinger, and Smoke. In some way, I think the lack of tra- uh, track record for Bellinger and Thames makes them more interesting to me than Smoke. Smoke, the big difference for him is not actually launch angle or exit velocity or anything like that. The big difference is he's contact. just making more contact. Yeah. So in that way, I would say, okay, well, then I can believe you have a better batting average, but do I believe that all of this growth that you're having is just from selectivity? It can be, because if you pick the right pitches, that's that's another way to hit balls harder and faster. I mean, the mm-hmm. you know, hard like harder hits and better launch angle come from, you know, sort of middle of the zone up, uh, the sort of that middle quarter of the zone. That's sort of belt high and up, you know? Uh, so if he's just honing in on that, that could be a big part of why he is doing so well. It just doesn't um, – it's not the kind of narrative that uh, that really appeals to me. Um, Especially I don't know. at age 30. For some yeah, I mean, he's the oldest guy. So I like uh, – well, I don't know. Tames might be over 30. but uh, Oh, I think they're both 30, actually. Yeah, so anyway – I. I I think it's okay, you know, even though we, we fell in love with, with Thames, I think it's okay to fall in love again. You know, Bellinger has two home runs on, on Eric Thames in, in terms of expected home runs. And then if you go to the baseball savant leaderboard, uh, Thames and Alonzo have like 12.5% barrels. And then uh, and, and they're at a certain level. And then Judge leads everybody with 25%. That's sort of like the top thirty in a way, and then Bellinger's right in between the two with fifteen and a half percent. So, you know, he's comparable to Smoke in that way. He has a higher average exit velocity. Uh, he's this young kid who I think has adjusted back to the league a little bit. It's not just low pitches; like he's definitely can hit high pitches too. 
Um, so I, I, I see enough in Bellinger that I'm going to take him for home runs for the rest of the way. I think okay. it'll probably be like Bellinger, Smoke, Thames uh, in that order, or Bellinger, Thames, Smoke. Thames and Smoke have the advantage of good home parks. It's a tough trio to pick from, right? I, I have a hard time picking the one that I definitively like. That's why I made you pick. Because um, <laughs> I, li- I like Thames a lot as well, and I, I still think that he's going to be really strong the rest of the way, it seems like he kind of cleared his head a little bit, uh, seeing his interview after the two-homer game. Said he was pressing, you know, trying trying to live up to the numbers that he'd already put up. Hopefully he doesn't fall into that again. You know, Smoke has been really impressive. Like you said, the, the biggest key is newfound contact. 18% strikeout rate is a career best. Only 8% swinging strike rate, also a career best. So I really don't want to leave him out in the cold here. Um... I'm going to go Thames, Bellinger, Smoke, which, you know, th- those, those three, though, they're really tough. I do think the process of elimination does push Morrison and Alonzo to the side in that grouping. Bottom line, though, first base has become just a monstrous position again, and uh, you really you really shouldn't have too much trouble filling that position, as well as corner and probably, for a lot of people, their utility spot with uh, – with a first baseman as well. All right, you know, let's move on. And uh, like I said, going to be kind of a bit of a grab bag, talking some pitchers, talking some some hitters. First question, though. Are you cutting any and all pitchers who have fingers just to avoid blister issues? <laughs> Cut their fingers. Yeah, uh, I, I was just going to pick anybody who has uh, their hand is like a mitten style hand. There aren't too many of them, so I'm going to have a limited pool. But uh, yeah, little known fact: uh, Jimmy Nelson actually has a mitten for a hand. Um, you know, so that, that's part of why he's been doing so. Or well, maybe we so. could we could all go and get Antonio Alfonseca guys, guys yes. with the, the sixth finger. So he's got you know. an extra finger. So if he has a blister on just one, he moves the, next the ball finger. down. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, but we do kind of so listen. We were talking about this a little bit a while ago, saying that there we were seeing more blister issues pop up. This is right when like Verlander and Tanaka were talking about the ball changing. Uh, Marcus Stroman gets a blister. He says this is this is insane. Like I've never gotten a blister ever from pitching. What's going on? That this is just like the when when the ball was was uh, becoming an issue with the home runs. It was like it starts like with a little thing. There's smoke. There's smoke, and then there's fire. I think that's where we're going with this. Obviously, it's that same issue. It's the same ball-related issue. But is it the ball that's causing these these rampant blister issues with guys? I have heard that, you know, Stroman was the one that came out and said it uh, most uh, most forcefully. And that's, you know, it's funny. Him and Donaldson are on the same team because they're, they, they both see themselves, I think, as advocates. And they're willing to say something like this. No doubt. In order to uh, in order to kind of uh, advocate for pitchers and for 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 other hitters, I mean that's that's why Donaldson talked to me about quick pitching, and that's why you know Stroman was talking about these blisters. So I have I, I am hesitant to go on the record yet with anybody because so far it's been more like yeah. So what about this crazy new ball, right? Um, and kind of just conversations. So hopefully um, I'll get a couple of people to go on the record. Uh, the one thing that makes it hard to study is that blisters don't always end up in a DL stint. And that's exactly. when you record in baseball. That's when you record a data point where you say, ah, blisters, right? So I may not find that there have been more DL stints for blisters because it really has to get to the Rich Hillian level before you're missing games well, we on that Hill. level. We've seen Taiwan Walker... 
Yeah, but you know, the curveballs are also a reason for that, and curveballs are up, and and curveballs. Yep, you've been writing a lot about about kind of the curveball revolution here too. So that that can play a role. So maybe maybe the ball isn't affecting it, but indirectly, the ball being easier to hit home runs is causing pitchers to change. They're going to more off-speed pitches. Ah, interesting. And that's the that's the chain reaction, not necessarily the ball itself. I don't know. Uh, is uh, well, I like that. I like Stroman's that idea. I like that idea. Uh, I think it is. Yeah. Well, if you define it as all breaking balls, it's up. But um, you know, I, I would say that uh, that's a good thing. And then the other thing that I want to try and do is maybe do one of those like uh, Google ngram. Uh, approaches where I just do like a basically a word search and see if like blister plus baseball uh, mentions online have gone up um, like that. that might capture all those beat writer stories uh, where you know blah 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 is struggling with the blister problem right now I and... cut blah 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 by the way in all formats <laughs> I can't it's, it's become too much. It's become just too much. can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. So I just say all formats, I'm out. If you guys want to reserve them, that's kind of your own thing. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a good idea, too. It's definitely something that is getting more attention. We're hearing more and more about the pitchers saying, listen, I'm not trying to make an excuse about it, but this ball is different. And, you know, some people are just saying, well, it's sour grapes. It's guys who are struggling. It's, you know, it's, it's Stroman after a bad outing. It's Verlander having a disaster season. It's Tanaka having a disaster season. I mean, at some point, though, these guys are really good. And so for them to just turn around and be bad. By the way, Stroman's actually having a good season, so he's not there. But, like, Tanaka and Verlander were, were vocal about it. And some people were pushing back, like, well, they just suck this year. Well, don't you think that there's maybe a reason that they suck? And they're not just, like, all of a sudden terrible pitchers. By the way, Tanaka's been pitching very well lately. Uh, can't say the same for Verlander. So uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on it. Hopefully you're, you're able to find something. Maybe you're able to write about it. Uh, but Blister's have become a bit of a thing, and, and, and we'll try to get to the uh, to the why. Uh, let's talk about John Gray. He's back, had a big first start in Arizona, six innings, seven hits, two runs, one walk, ten strikeouts. Really good outing. Does John Gray come back as an all uh, as a full-time must-start, home and road, or is he a road-only guy? Where, where are you at on John Gray now that he's back? You know, I think it's probably like a rolling – a rolling situation where depending on the size of your league, I think that, you know, in like a 15 team league, I think I'd be okay with, uh, with, uh, playing him at home. I think, you know, he's grown and grown and, you know, I know that, you know, so far in his career, he has, um, well, I don't know why they're not showing ERA here. Let's hold on. Home ERA 492 versus away 453. But, you know, uh, when you look at XFIP or FIP, his home away splits are not actually that big a deal. FIP 361 at home, 364 away career. XFIP 340 home, 389 away. And John Gray was good uh, at home last year. It was a 430 ERA, but that's good for Coors. It's really the ERA. And it's getting better for exactly. the t- that's the depth of your league is why it matters, right? In your 10 or 11 team league, your average ERA is probably 3.5 or something, or 3.6. So in that league, you kind of it's important whether he's a three point six or a three point nine. You know, you kind of only want the good starts. But in a fifteen team league, I think you're probably getting closer to three seven five, three eight as the average ERA, and then you might miss some good starts. And especially if it's head to head, you you kind of want to just throw him. I think. And no, I, uh, I think I think it might be a little bit higher in both. I'm looking at, and this is one one data point, so it's not 
perfect. But the 11 team mixed league I'm in, middle of the pack, is a 405 ERA. There's only wow. one, two, three, four, five teams with ERAs under four. Um, I lead the league at 328, no big deal. Well, let me so, see. I've got a I've got one ten team league. Uh, let me look at the ERA in that one. The leader uh, three thirty one. Okay. Uh, I am fourth of three fifty five, and sixth is three seventy five. So there's a big leap there. Okay. But yeah. So three three even in a ten team league three six. Three seven is is pretty good, so I think that's where he's going to end up in some. So, you know, average average starter in terms of ERA, way above average in terms of strikeouts. Certainly, and and, and win probability is better than it's been in recent years. I know they're struggling of late, um, the Rockies are, but I still think that compared to recent years, you feel a lot more confident about taking that shot on John Gray at home in hopes of him going. You know, even even if it's six and four runs. But with seven strikeouts and a win, I'll take that. I, re- I really will. Like it's it's not a great ERA to go six and four, but I'll, I'll take that most nights in Coors Field for sure. So well, look, hey, hold on, he's he's available in my league. Oh, you might need to scoop him up right this. Well, should we play a little? Would you rather just yeah, using yeah, my team? Exactly. <laughs> hey, would it. you guys like to manage my team? <laughs> guys, let's manage Eno's team right this instant. All right, so you're not dropping you, Darvish, Michael Fulmer. Uh, Luis Severino, probably. Um, then I've got Alex Wood. I don't think he's a dropper right now. So the choice would be to drop. I don't really want to drop a closer because I need to make some headway and saves. So the the dropper for just for John Gray in this league would be Sean Manaya or Aaron Nola. Damn, that's tough. Yeah. That's what happens in the 10-teamer. You know what? I gotta say Nola, and I'm, I'm making a quick decision. It's not that I feel that strongly about it. I just love Manaya, and when you're getting close the way it is, I think I'm just gonna lean on the park. And I know that you know that's maybe too simplified. You know what? Because I want to say that, but then I'm thinking about the the NL, the AL, excuse me, the NL East as well. And that you got one tough matchup in that division. It's Washington. And then yeah. the Mets, Marlins, and Braves just don't scare me for any of his. And Nola, Nola's schedule coming up is home against San Diego and then away at Miami just for the next two starts. Um, where John Gray looks like he'll get away at the Mets to open the second half of the season. Okay. And then maybe home against San Diego. So, uh, you know. That is I tough, don't man. I don't even know. I think I'm just going to manage the schedule and just. I was going to say maybe it's a status quo thing because maybe you just keep the guys that you have, so you don't feel. I don't know that maybe that's playing scared, but like you don't feel like you made a blunder then cutting somebody like Nola, who's who's been great lately. By the way, I want to I want to point out his numbers here. If you look back at his last uh, six starts since the start of June, he's got a 2.68 ERA in 40 and a third innings with 43 strikeouts, and that includes one one bad outing against Arizona where he allowed five runs. And a lot of that was three runs on three hits in the seventh inning, of which he did not record an out. So like he had the blow-up inning to kind of finish off the start. He was pitching brilliantly to that point. Uh, so I think I might actually just keep status. I love John Gray. I think I might just go Nola and Manaya and, and, and keep rolling. You know, he wasn't rushed. No one rushed out to pick him up in your league after a great start in Arizona. So maybe that tells you you can wait. And if somebody picks him up, you just kind of tip your cap and keep going with your guys, I think. 
All right, let's move on to uh, Jimmy Nelson. I mentioned him earlier. Oh, I did. Actually, I did want to just oh. mention someone real quick about Aaron Nola. That's interesting. If, if anybody who's been listening to the podcast knows about how Aaron Nola, uh, you know, with the he has a low uh, swing strike rate and he does. high uh, strike rate. And we've talked about how we like uh, swinging strike rate. It doesn't include any work from the catcher uh, in terms of framing or the umpire in terms of getting it right. However, I think that at this point we can say that Aaron Nola has a called strike skill. And with Matt Swartz uh, publishing here at, at Fangraphs uh, this month, I think it points, it's a good time to point out that he had the original piece that I refer back to sometimes on this podcast that says that swing strikes and called strikes are equally predictive of strikeout rates. So there, there, you, there's nothing to be necessarily gained from focusing solely on swing strike rate. Um, so, you know, Nola, I think at this point, has demonstrated that he gets a lot of called strikes. He throws a ton of curveballs, and those are the best ways to get called strikes, and he throws them in the zone. Um, and he has good command. He's really good command of his sinker. So, you know, I like that he's throwing the changeup more this year. I've always thought the changeup had good movement. And, uh, you know, I think that that's going to lead to better soft contact, better batting average on balls in play. That's sort of sort of what we're seeing right now. So whatever he's doing right now, I think he can continue doing. And in the context of this team that I've got, uh, I just like that San Diego Mets matchup for him. And if I look at, and I think, that, you know, in the 10 team, we've also talked about how you just have to kind of move fast. And I think that if... Uh, you know, if Sean Manaya, so he has a, a thing at Seattle. If he blew up in that and didn't look very great, and then his next matchup was Cleveland or something, you know, maybe I'd say, well, I don't really love that matchup, and maybe he'll be there, maybe he won't, but maybe I can get John Gray against the Mets. One of my you know, biggest challenges And just is, get that start and then move on again. Exactly. One of my biggest challenges is making those moves in the shallower leagues because I real, you know, I love – that Sean Manai is talented and, and has upside, but there's tons of guys like that. It's a 10-team league. There's guys, there's Manaya-esque guys on the, on the yeah. wire. And, and I have to push to – and in order for me to improve from my 3-5 ERA, I have to get a 3-3 or something going forward. So I can't afford to have John Gray uh, at home, really, even if, it, even if he's all right there. That's true. You and, have to kind of push – or just his and I can't stars. really afford if Nola, even if Nola, like a little injury, like even if they say Alex Wood, you know, uh, back, you know, hurting, you know, 10-day DL stint, he's going to be gone. Like, honestly, he has to be gone because I have, you well, know. He has to be DL'd. You can't cut him. I, I have Trey Turner on my DL. I have two DL slots. <gasps> Maybe I cut, you know, Familia instead, but Familia is actually on his Familia's way back. on his way back, yeah. And I need saves. My my clothes right now are Jansen, good, Neris, Wilson, and Norris. Yeah. So if I can get Familia back, I want that. So, uh, you know, sometimes when you only have two DL stats, you lose a guy like Alex Wood. But uh, anyway, I'm trying to just all hands on deck and, and just be really uh, dynamic. I think you, in some ways a 10-team league forces you to be dynamic and, and yep. push yourself and, and, and drop guys and move players. on. Yeah, Just move, burn and churn, really, because... Uh, you're going to make some mistakes, but that's how you're also going to get in on the uh, on the guys who end up breaking out. And 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 you picked up Jimmy Nelson, who is our next guy to talk about. Well, and, I had like Carlos Santana in this league for a long time, and you probably waited. 
and I waited a, a fair amount of time, and then now my OPS is like fourth, and I'm getting four points. So I'm like, you know, seventh in the league or eighth or whatever, or sixth, whatever. I'm not OPS is a pro, is a problem for me. I was waiting for Josh Donaldson to come back, and I thought Donaldson, Carlos Santana, I'm going to be good. Then I was like, screw it, I can't wait anymore. Now it's smoke. I have smoke, and I've had Alonzo, and I'm, you know, when Alonzo got hurt, so I just, you know, threw in smoke. So. You know, you got to move. You didn't miss out because there were. I thought you were going to say the the horror story, which happened to a lot of folks with Santana and wait some other too guys. long. They waited and they missed out on Zimmerman, Alonzo, yeah. Smoke, Morrison. They didn't go in on Bellinger, although Bellinger would be less of an excuse because he had the outfield first base thing. But yeah, thankfully you made up for it. But you do have to just be quicker acting in ten teamers. I get that we want to wait. Patience does matter, but. Um, only with your superstars. I, th- I think I think it really only starts to, to be with your top five round guys. And even if you make a mistake, you cut your seventh rounder on April 28th because he was sucking, and then he turns around, you know, McCutcheon style or something. That's a bummer, but you just got to keep moving. You can't really languish uh, and, and just keep thinking about every little wrong move you make because there's so many more moves to be made in a 10-teamer. And even a 12-teamer, I think, has, has a lot of that aspect to it. If you want, if you want to be Mr. Patient, uh, then 15-team league, ALNL only league are the leagues for you. Uh, let's move over to Jimmy Nelson. He does have a mitt in hand, which explains some of his awesomeness. But why else? Is, why, why is he so awesome this year? Because I'd kind of moved on from Jimmy Nelson after a few false starts in 15 and 16 where he started to show some things and I, and I would I would jump on board then I was just like I don't know man I don't know if this is really going to happen he doesn't get strikeouts well, he's getting strikeouts this year career high 26% strikeout rate he's not walking guys major major gains there going from 11% last year to 6% this year Jimmy Nelson's doing a lot of positive things and yet um he fi- is it is it the development of that curve because he finally has a third pitch that he can rely on. Like, what's going on with Jimmy Nelson that you see? Well, there was a, a change in arm angle. And it's funny because this is the same thing Matt Boyd told me, that is once he changed his arm angle and lowered it a little bit, there was a bigger difference between his slider and his curve. And, Which is um, always a problem, right? Guys, sometimes they blend too much, and then you don't you have one amorphous pitch as opposed to two separate. Right, we've talked about it with Robbie Ray some, and Robbie Ray has been succeeding. But I, I, it does make me nervous about him at home because people talk about breaking ball command in in Arizona specifically, and he, you know, he shows a better distinction between his pitches on the road. So I, I think that um, it may not have worked for Matt Boyd, or maybe he's still in a work in progress. But for Jimmy Nelson, I think that has been the key. I mean, if you look at where his uh, vertical release point has been, it dropped uh, this year. Um, let's see here. It dropped. Well, actually, it, it, it dropped going into this season. Um, and then uh, it's dropped a little bit further for the curveball specifically. So... Um, you know, that's over the course of this season that, that release point has changed. And um and if you look at I think it's vertical movement for the two. No, it's the horizontal movement. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the uh the slider and curve horizontal movement last year, they're basically the same. That's for Jimmy uh, Nelson. Yeah. And uh, you'll see for the for the two breaking balls last year. Uh, I'll just do year by year so that you can 
so this makes it makes it easier to read. But um, last year the slider had a four and a half number for for uh, for sideways movement, and the curve had a five. This year the slider is two and a half, uh, and the curve is five and a half. So that means um, that just means that they have become more distinct, you know. And uh, you know on the vertical movement, um, you know the the slider uh, doesn't drop as much as it used to. And the curve uh, drops about the same. So they've they've separated themselves in vertical and horizontal ways. And I think that just means he's found they're actually two different pitches. Whereas before he was, they were melding together. And um, I think in terms of a batter reacting to it, you kind of just treat it all as one breaking ball. And if they're not that far different in movement or velocity, then you uh, even if you're wrong about what he intended to throw, you're still s- geared up for that general velocity and movement band right Mm -hmm. but if they become more different and you think that's a slider and instead it's a curve and it drops you know three four five inches lower then you know or you know you you think oh that's a curve and it's a slider and it and it's you know uh less horizontal than it, it comes on the inside of your bat and you miss it over the top of it so you know, I think uh, I think that's just now he's finally got two different pitches. I think the that net was, result I think for Nelson has been um, cutting that platoon split that he always had, and that was something where he was kind of a two pitch pitcher, and he would he would struggle a lot uh, against lefties. Now he's improved against both sides of the plate, but for the most part, he'd always been pretty solid against righties. Last year was an exception; he had an 802 OPS, uh, but this year's down to 714 against them against righties, and 690 is very much a, a career best against lefties after 804, 876, and 779. So he's getting righties and lefties out. Ground balls, you know, he's not elite by any stretch, but he's about a 50% ground ball guy, so he's more on the ground than not. And he's Home not runs. a bad fastball guy. So nope, nope, 94 mile an hour fastball. Uh, so there, there's a lot to look with 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 heavy sink to it too. I, I don't think it's a flat out sinker, but it, it certainly has movement there. Um, so I do think Nelson has a lot of believability to what he's doing. 3.20 ERA right now. Uh, rest of season projection: Zips has 4.03, Steamer has 4.37, Depth Charts has 4.20. Where do you? No, put but him? look look at this. Last year his curveball got nine percent whiffs against lefties. Nine uh, percent whiffs and. Uh well, I'm not gonna do any balls and play numbers. Just this, let's just focus on nine percent whiffs. Okay. This year, curveball against lefties, seventeen percent whiffs. Holy crap, dude! That's yeah. basically doubling it. Like that. That explains the fact that he has sixty six strikeouts, uh, in two hundred six plate appearances. He had sixty one each of the last two years in three hundred seventy seven and three hundred thirty four plate appearances, respectively, for Jimmy Nelson against lefties. Now that's total. But you're talking about the curveball. That's a driving factor behind this newfound strikeout rate, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, this is and it's focusing on lefties, but lefties have always been the problem. So it's interesting. This is a real. This is a real thing. Like he's. He, this is a real weapon now. The slider got like 13 percent whiffs against lefties last year, and 14 percent now. Even the changeup now, which is definitely his worst pitch against lefties, is getting 10, 11 percent whiffs, which is almost average. So. Yes, he he's still as the, the four seamer is still giving up the most home runs, and that's against lefties. That's the source of any platoon split he has right now. However, as his other pitches uh, have gotten better, the sinker, the change, the slider, and the curve, he now has four pitches that he can throw to keep them off that four seam, or just to not throw a four seam. You know, so just as an as another option. So. Mm-hmm. 
I I, uh, I believe in him. I'll take uh, better numbers than he's projected for in all in all on all accounts. I actually and... hadn't seen that uh, that curveball thing. I wrote about Jimmy Nelson back on June 14th, and I couldn't find like a key or you know smoking gun or anything really about what was driving the platoon split. And maybe it's really changed in these last four starts when he has a 193 ERA and 37 strikeouts in 28 innings. But either way, I hadn't seen that about the curveball, even though I was recommending him. Um, I, I still hadn't seen that for Jimmy Nelson, so that's huge. And I think I, I think I got to go sub four on a projection the rest of the season for Jimmy Nelson. I think I'll put him at at like a three seventy um, with the potential to maintain the three twenty. Like I, I don't think it's out of the picture that it, that he can just keep status quo going for Jimmy Nelson the rest of the season. But I would say at the high end, I think about a three seventy ERA. What do you think about that? I think he can maybe even do better. I mean, if you look at his curveball and slider uh, horizontal movement chart, you'll see he was hurt, uh, or he threw away, or he put away the curveball for like four starts, three or four starts. And uh, wait, earlier this year? Yeah, it's basically beginning of May. Oh, okay, and, there you go. And then he brought the curveball back against Boston uh, at the end of May, and then you know since the, the, the two pitches have been dis- very distinctly different. So he definitely changed something about uh, his curveball or slider, uh, probably the slider. I think he changed. He must have changed a grip is what I'm guessing. And, um, you know, let's – let's. I mean, I'm, I'm not looking at his game log right now, so I'm not playing the selective endpoints game as much as I'm, I am. However, I'm not going to look at his results. I'm just going to do a game log from that start against Boston. Because that should capture that point. That should capture some of the. All right, so there's not there's some it's not amazing starts in there. Uh, that's five eleven against Boston. Um, so we're gonna just do a game log from five eleven against Boston. And now it's a lot of the season, but it does capture when the the pitches became more different. Well, and it um, looks like he was tweaking things in April because the first two starts, Jimmy Nelson was pretty good. Then he had three clunkers in a row really because even the one where he went five and a third three runs uh four runs three earned against st louis it was with six walks so he was struggling atlanta knocked him around um he only lasted three innings against pittsburgh at pittsburgh i don't know if that was rain delay or injury uh it was three no hit innings two strikeouts but then the boston start kicks in and i think you're about to give the numbers over the 11 starts he's been amazing for those 11 starts yeah and so the game log, it does not lie, 249 ERA, 261 FIP, 269 XFIP. And yes, they're selective endpoints, but they're not. I mean, there's something changed. He's been different since that day. So I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be a 249 ERA, but I think that, you know, especially with pitch mix stuff like this, that's something that the the uh, projection systems are not going to pick up on. No, and and I think... Of history. Yeah, in particular... Yes, he's had a somewhat high batting average on balls in play in the past, and even even does this year. I think a lot of that you kind of saw it with Lance Lynn in the past. Lance Lynn doesn't have the same kind of weapons, and he's always had kind of a lefty platoon split issue because uh, he's basically fastball slider. That's literally who I compared him to in my piece. Oh, there you go. I said I think he's got uh, Lance Lynn's upside. You know, like when Lance Lynn right. was good, 2012. To Probably not the same. I mean, the, the reason that Lynn's been a state afloat is because he's got better command, probably than even the Nelson. However, now Nelson is more of a complete pitcher, more of a, you know, 3-4 pitch pitcher. I, I don't see why you have to project him into a 3-12, 3-15 BABIP. I mean, I know the defense behind him. I know Milwaukee. But I think I would take the under on those BABIP projections. 
which offers a little bit of upside um, to to beat. And I think he doesn't necessarily need to give up all those home runs if he's got a pitch against lefties. Um, so, and then I think he's going to keep that high strikeout rate. So if you just up his strikeout rate to nine, you you know you take the home run date rate but below one, you take the Babbitt below uh, three hundred. You're definitely at least getting to 375, I think. So all right, so we're we're pro Jimmy Nelson here. Yeah, and I think uh, I think it could be. I think you could see a really good run, three five, three six. Uh, I don't think you know. Even if you just look at his line now, um, you know he's even for the whole season 311 FIP, and he still has a 332 BABIP. So if he can even continue just the strikeout rate and walk rate he's got now. Um, you know that he could he could maintain like a low threes. So I I really like him. I I own him everywhere I can, and uh, I think he's deserved what he's got. I like it. Uh, let's talk about Jacob Faria because he's been awesome, and I'm curious just how awesome you think he might be. Looking looking so far, 32 and a third innings through five starts, 28 percent strikeout rate, four percent walk rate, 12 percent swinging strike, 223 ERA, .90 WHIP. Obviously, Jacob Free has been a beast so far. It'd be unrealistic to expect that sort of level to continue. But how good can can Freya be the rest of the season? Um, I mean, I, the only thing that's happened to him, I think, sometimes in the minor leagues, is that he's just lost the plate, and um. It may be become predictable because there have been times when he's been he's been hurt in the minor leagues. That said, I see three very good pitches. The changeup has an 11 mile an hour gap and you know eight inches of drop difference. So he's got a high riding fastball that would rank among league leaders in terms of rise. Then he's got one of the biggest. A 60 grade pitch on our on our scouting report that was always. Yeah. seen as his best pitch. That In up. some ways, it, it reminds me of, of Dan Straley with more velocity because Dan Straley actually kind of has a riding fastball and then also throws a pitch that has the biggest ch- change in uh, veloc- in drop from the forcing to the change. So, um, you know, if Straley was, you know, throwing 92, I think we'd like him a little better too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I see three legit pitches and the curve isn't even that bad either. Um, and so he's, he's got, got similar of... projections to, to Nelson the rest of the season. I know there's a lot less to go off of. These 32 innings are his MLB career. But what, what can Faria do the rest of the year in your estimation? Well, he plays is he in a sub he, four? He plays in a – yeah, I think he is. He plays in a, in a harder division than Nelson, uh, plays in some harder parks. You can see that there's been some fluctuation in his walk rate. So that's why, you know, he's had basically been – basically below average in terms of walk rate and three out of his last four stops, basically ever since he got out of the low minors. So there could be some bouts of wildness coming um, or it could manifest itself in his home run rate. And he's in Boston. If I'm going to choose between the two, I'd probably choose Jimmy Nelson. I just like how, you know, I like how it sets up for him. He plays, he's going to be pitching in a lot of bad part in a lot of, you know, friendly parks for pitchers uh, against some bad teams and um, he's also made those adjustments. He's a, he's a more mature pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I could see Faria maybe losing the plate or, um, you know, just, you know, especially like imagine, you know, in Boston. Wearing down a little bit too, right? Yeah. He's going to hit the dog days, and it's just that extra month, especially on, on the young guys, when, when 
you know the season's not ending in august you're going a whole nother month here in in september and if if uh tampa bay's still going those are going to be high 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 intensity games so that part can just kind of come into play for a guy who hasn't made that that first full season and, and obviously he hasn't been in the majors all year but it would still be a six-month season for him when you add in his uh his triple a but i, I like free as well i but do prefer I, nelson he's also got a thing that i've seen with with pitchers as they first come up is a high swing rate um where players uh are you there i'm here oh i'm sorry about that no, it's no. all right. We'll just leave that in. It's a little fun uh, <laughs> behind the curtain. I just no said something I didn't hear something for a second. Anyway, no, I, I, uh, I, I muted for a second because I thought oh, I was making noise when I opened something, and so I was like, <laughs> "I'll mute really quickly." And you probably no. heard dead silence. Yeah, yeah that's ahead. what I heard. Yeah. Go ahead. So the the swing rate. I should have kept my mouth shut. The swing rate uh, right now for for Faria is fifty percent over fifty percent. The reach rate is uh, over thirty like thirty four percent. That's those are both above average, and I think I've seen that with the young pitchers. I'd, I'd like to quantify that in some way. Now I'm I'm sort of just guessing, but I do know that like Jordan Montgomery had high swing rates and high reach rates early on, and then there was a correction where they stopped swinging at his slider, and that's something they, I've written about. They attack youngsters early on, saying, "Yeah, prove it," and then when they see, "Okay, you're good." They back off? Is it something like that? Yeah, and especially, I think, with a guy like Faria, where, you know, he has a below-average first strike rate. So, you know, even if you're aggressive, if he gets to you know, gets to 1-0 on you, um, maybe you've been aggressive in the past, and the second time you're seeing him and he's, he gets to 1-0 on you, then maybe you say, eh, I'm going to chill out on this. I mean, that, that changeup is crazy nuts, dropping off the table. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and really just look for just a fastball in this really small zone and just make him make him struggle a little bit. So I, I do think he'll have better than a, a four ERA, but I also think he'll have some blowups, and it may be hard to pre- predict them. But if I I look at his game log so far, and he has not pitched in Boston, I don't well, know why that pitched, sort of he has pitched yeah. in Baltimore and, and he did Toronto well. and Detroit. Yeah, but. You know, Detroit is 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 a neutral is ballpark. There. No, yeah. it's actually I would say I would say it's pretty pitcher favorable. Right. At least in the last few years, I I don't know. It just it and really Toronto, seems. Yeah, I think so. I agree with you. And Toronto hasn't been hitting like uh, like the true Toronto team. So I just want to see, you know, going to Boston, going to New York, uh, going up against really more disciplined teams. Those are um, the challenges. You're, you're definitely yeah. right. Those those are the two challenges that we want to see. Toronto's not where they were. Even Baltimore is not where they've been in the past couple of years. So you're right. He has had some uh, challenges that he's faced and done well. Faria has, but we got to see him get in there, and I want to see him face those teams that that second time as well. He the only team he's faced twice is Baltimore. It was back to back, and he got them both times. I want to see Boston uh, twice in in a week. You know, the home and home where he gets them in in, uh, in in Tampa on a Monday, and then he gets them in in Fenway on a Saturday, and, and let's see how they adjust to him that's gonna be really interesting so keep an eye on that but we're pretty pro Faria as well right now would take Nelson over him what about Gray versus Faria who would you take there mm, see I think I might like Faria I just like the fact that if you if they if either of them are half starters for you Faria's half starts are at home yep. I mean players are traditionally better at home so just generally if it speaking, lines yep. up that He's playing in Tampa, which is a nice for for pitchers, and he's home. Then I'd rather do that than be like chasing away games for for a guy like Gray. 
Plus, I think that they're both going to have high strikeout rates. Uh, Gray doesn't hasn't proven that he's going to have low walk rates. So even if Faria has regression in the walk rate category, and then balls in play, you know, Gray's going to have at least half of his time be working against him. So as much as I like Gray, I think I would take Faria over him. I think I would right now too, because like you said, you got to lop off half the games right off the bat. Um, yeah, I mean you don't have to, but you got to lop off most of them right now, at least in shallower leagues, which is what we're really focused on here. Obviously, in fifteen team leagues, they're all must owns right now. Uh, let's talk about this. So I don't know why this story isn't getting more run. This is a guy who Luis Castillo was a second baseman for what, like a fourteen year career. Like he had a pretty long career. For him to then come back as a pitcher throwing 100 and we're not talking about it more after a seven-year break, 15-year career, that's insane, dude. This guy's like, uh, let's see, he's 42 years old and nobody's even talking about Luis Castillo. I'm kidding. And do you remember, you remember his, big, best, uh, his best skill, Luis Castillo's? Um, wasn't it stealing bases? Not swinging. Not swinging. He just took pitches. Yeah, he was a He was he the was most passive swinger. walk rate guy ever. It was ne- it wasn't really a good eye so much as it was a get me to 3-2. Like try to get two <laughs> strikes on me and then I'll do something, but for now I'm just not going to swing. Uh no, obviously yes, not. Yes, look the at same this. I, I'm not crazy. He would be among the league leaders right now in swing in league laggards, I guess, in swing. Had rate. to be he, sub forty percent, right? The last and when I, I he sort of I watched him a little bit more as a Met than a Marlin. As a Marlin, he was a little bit closer to average, but as a Met, he settled in at thirty percent swing rate, which oh is um, it's basically uh, Robert Grossman esque. The the league swings at like a forty five percent clip, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he, he just, just didn't says swing. he said. I ain't scared of you. I guess I, I, I'm a little guy, a little bit. Yeah, and small, smaller guy. He's trying to shrink that zone. So he did have really good walk rate, which certainly power, helped so, yeah. his stolen bases. He never hit more than six homers in a season, and that was just one time. Um, but, yeah, anyway, now he's out here he's, throwing 100-mile-per-hour yeah. beams. <laughs> Obviously, it's not the same guy. The only reason that joke semi-works is because this Luis Castillo, now on the Reds, did come from the Marlins. He was actually traded twice. You know, You may remember he was traded in the big Andrew Kashner deal. But that was who they got back. He was who got sent back for Colin Ray when it was rescinded, right? The the bulk of the trade stayed, but they said, give us Castillo back. That was your little lottery ticket that we gave you. And we'll give you this broken-ass Colin Ray with your sketchy-ass injury report. So they got him back. And he got a... Tommy John, like the next day. Oh, it w- it was bad. It was, and that was that whole thing about how they have two medical reports: the ones they show teams, the ones yeah, they have yeah, themselves. Yeah. So it was bad. So they get a second crack, and they traded him again. And listen, they got Dan Straley. He's doing well. They always fancy themselves in the offseason. The Marlins do as fringe contenders. Obviously, it's not playing out that way, and they'd probably rather have Castillo right now. Twenty-four year old, uh, second highest fastball. If you took. Uh, Starters only and and made it a 16-inning threshold, which is always thrown, behind only Syndergaard at 97.8. He does have three pitches, curveball, or excuse me, slider and changeup. Those are actually his good pitches. For all the fastballs that we're seeing, that pitch is getting beat around the yard. There's some great gifts out there. The pitcher list, big fans of them. They put out some really spicy ones, 100 miles per hour on the corner. Looks great for a strikeout. But then when you dig in, you see fastball is actually getting a hit. If, they, if they're not getting the, the, the strikes there, they're crushing it. And that's been kind of an issue right now. So he does have a 441 ERA, but it's been lucky. 10.5 hits per nine, 2.8 homers. We're all talking small samples here. I love the raw stuff, but how trustworthy is Luis Castillo for the Reds right now? 
you know, but it's what it's worth. He has been a little unlucky, I think. Um, the uh, he, you know, X stats says he should have given up a home run less, and okay. uh, the triple was uh, was sort of a could have not been a triple point four. And in general, he's given up three more hits than he should have uh, so far. It's not, you know, it's well, not that doesn't sound like much. Change but that, everything but that would take him down to especially 16. if one of those hits was a homer. Yeah. I mean, that, like we're, we're dealing with such small samples that those small numbers would actually change things quite a bit. He has, he does have the 4.41 ERA, but a 6.09 FIP. Again, I don't want to make too much of any of these three starts, but Castillo did go into Coors, and I thought stood tall. Five and two thirds, four runs, eight strikeouts, one walk. Uh, he opened up with five walks at Washington, then three against Milwaukee, just one here in Coors. I did like that. I like a lot of the foundation that, that he's laying here with the three pitches because the other two pitches have been really good. The slider and the cha- – at least in terms of results. I haven't oh, checked. no. I know. In terms of movement, too, his changeup okay. is 11-mile-an-hour gap. Drops seven inches more than his four-seam. So yeah, it's that's a like Faria's, but, but, but going from 98 to 87. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then on top of that, um, he doesn't have the ride that Faria does, but he, he almost has, like, he has pretty good sync. Like, everything drops more than Faria's. So, uh, you know, the, the slider could be kind of seen as slurvy. It's 85 miles an hour. It's a little bit slow I think considering he gets, throws 98. It gets classified as a curve in some spots, too. We have it as yeah. a slider. So we'll call it his breaking ball right now. Yeah, yeah, because we're now using pitch info. Uh, which I generally like a lot, and uh, I think I'm not saying that they're wrong on this one. I mean, it's very borderline. It does have three or four inches more drop than your regular uh, curveball, so uh, your regular slider. So there is a little bit going on there. But in terms of whiffs so far, 19% whiffs. That looks like a slider. You know, you know, there's very few curveballs that get that much. And Jimmy Nelson aside, and he's getting whiffs on everything. The home runs have all been off the four seam. So I think. He's, you know, the, if you have a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, you come up and you just throw the 98-mile-an-hour fastball and you say, bring it. And then, you know, major league hitters hit some home runs off you and then you start throwing the other stuff and, and mixing it. Mixing <laughs> Especially when you in. don't know where it's going. When you're throwing 98 to 100, you don't always know where it's going. Now, he's like I said, there's some gifts out there where it looks like he has just this amazing command of the pitch. But obviously so. that hasn't been the, uh, the, the, the theme throughout with a 12% walk rate and a 2.8 homer per nine. But I like and walk I, rates that have fluctuated in the minor leagues. I mean, there were some times when he had great walk rates, but not you know other times when he was more average, and even times when he was below average. So, I, I think that that'll be a major source of regression for him is that walk rate, the balls in play, all come back down to earth. You know, I I think Zips giving him a four eighty eight ERA. It's just I don't I don't get it. I don't see it. I I um, he's got a fourteen percent whiff rate. And I know. You know, whiff rate, called strikes, we just talked about that. But, you know, I believe it. I'm just saying. I'm looking at his, his stuff, and I Same. believe in the strikeout rate. So, 62% ground ball rate as well. So the strikeout piece with the ground balls, if that ground ball rate is legit, and I wonder... And he has good sink. I mean, it's not. It's called a four seam, but you, you could call it a sinker. I mean, it's... it's I was going to say that. 0.4 yeah. homer per nine in the minors. Yeah. So the 2.8 that we're seeing, I mean, obviously we knew that's a fluke at 2.8, but... I think it could come down to like 0. 0.8, 0. 0.7. And yeah. if, he's, if he's allowing under a homer per nine, that's going to give Castillo a lot of leeway, even with the walks that he's likely to give up. I'm at least taking Steamer. 415 ERA, 130 whip, 
eight strikeouts per nine. That's going to be useful in a lot of leagues. You yep. should have them in your 15-team leagues. They should be all owned up by now. I actually um, scooped him in a league where I had to start him this week. That's how much I wanted him, even though I had to go at Colorado, at Arizona. I just really like the talent so much. I know there's going to be bumps, but I just love the And guy. It, he, he could be a really good guy to pick up, even in a 12-team league, if you need to catch lightning in a bottle and you're tired of nursing somebody along um, and you may not start him right away, but you, you want to put him on your bench in case, you know, he goes on one of those runs. I so, completely agree. You know, for context purposes, though, we should probably talk actual players. Well, let's, let's put him with our – he's last among our guys right now, right? The Gray, Nelson, Faria, it's Castillo last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's, let's jump down a level. Do you have some names or you want me to get some? Well, I, I know that he's not available in my 16-team league here. What about versus somebody like Denelson Lamette, who's oh, got similar man. kind of sex appeal where he's just got some nasty stuff. But I talked about this on the solo pod. They did a thing where it was uh, he's, he's an either-or man. He's a feast or famine. It was something like 50% of his, of his plate appearances had either ended on an extra base hit or a strikeout. Like it, it was that kind of craziness. Not, throws 95, has a devastating slider. I, I mean, I feel like it's that same kind of thing. Who do you like? And they're both I 24. Think you, could, you could make a stuff argument to um, to Castillo because Lamette's splitter looks all right in terms of movement, but he doesn't throw it very much. No, so he doesn't he's, trust it. Yeah, he's been kind of a fastball slider guy, which means that he's going to run into some issues, especially fastball slider without great command. I think that's where you run into specific issues against lefties. So, I mean, I do like that he pitches in San Diego. San Diego is not as much of a pitcher's park as it used to be. So I'm going with, uh, I think, as much as I like Lamette and I have some shares, I, I might go Castillo there. I think that's where I'm going as well. What about, let's see, I'm finding some other names. How about, say, Mike Clevenger, who's thrown some some good baseball of late, getting some punch outs, looking, uh, trying to trying to do his best Jacob Degrom imitation, not just with the hair. <laughs> well, I mean, I know he's he's had a good a good run, but I don't know that I love every. I mean, for, for first of all, I mean Jeff Zimmerman was not a fan. Not at all. Yeah, he did a little quick looks on him and and didn't like him. By the way, uh, I love Jeff's quick looks. Like if you if you haven't seen a guy. You're not really familiar with them at all, and Jeff does a quick look. You gotta, you gotta read it immediately, and you'll get a good feel for at least what to look for the, the time that you are able to sit down. Like I hadn't seen J.C. Ramirez very often when he wrote up that back on May 11th. That was when he did the Clevenger one, and it was good to just kind of get that first look, know what you're looking for, and then you can dive into a game on your own and see what's what. Now Clevenger, since he wrote that up, that was back after his second start. He's been a hell of a lot better. And I wonder if there's been changes. I wonder if, if Jeff does follow-ups. Maybe I'll ask him to do like a follow-up well, on Clevenger. I think the swing rate's interesting here. Batters are swinging at 54% of his change-ups. So more often than not, they're swinging at it. That's hard to get, to get a, a swing rate like that on a secondary pitch. Um, that's hard to do. They're not does swinging. That mean that it's fooling, him or that it, or fooling them or that it sucks and they're trying to crush it? So... I think he must be like throwing it with good arm speed. I think that for some, they must think it's a fastball, okay. so they're trying to get well, it. Well, he he did label it. Jeff did said by far his best pitch. Yeah, it's interesting uh, because I would say that it's very close to average. 
in terms of uh, just looking at movement of velocity and stuff. Like, is it? Uh, it has about four inches of drop. That's about average compared to like his fastball. It's got about two, three inches of fade. It's about average, and then it's only got a five mile an hour velocity gap. You know, and that's distinctly below average. Absolutely. So, is that a super sinker? I think you'd want more drop for it to be a, like a like a super change, like a Cobb, uh, you know, uh, Cobb. Uh, uh, Jeff did suggest it was situation. it was a it was a split finger, yeah, uh, sort of change, but more than more than just a, a straight straight change or a circle change. It could be, but then you've got this eighty mile an hour slider. Um, I don't know, and then a seventy five mile an hour curve. Those are really slow breaking balls. I don't like the slider, dude. That frisbee, just, it's very frisbee. Yeah. It, it, so he, I loved this too. I remember uh, the first time I saw this, and he showed the one that was the normal versus the hanging, and there just wasn't that much difference. Like because the, there was one that uh, that Solaire crushed, or um, no, he actually didn't crush it. He, he popped it up. But either way, I don't. I'm, I'm not a huge fan. Of, of the slider for Clevenger. Like, yeah, he as much as he's it up had there good, as much as he's had good, uh, you don't want to pay for the past. I think, I think I might take Castillo over him too. I think I might as well. All right. I got, uh, let's see. What about Trevor Bauer? Another, a, a teammate of, of Clevenger's throwing well of late as well. Always tweaking, always kind of, you know, volatile. I'm not a huge fan. I'm going to go, I'm going to just come out the gate and say, I'm going to go Castillo. That's a little bit of, perhaps some Bauer bias for me, but I mean, he's got a 524 ERA. Like I'm not, I'm not biased against somebody who's beasting by any stretch of the imagination, but credit where it's due. Uh, if you look back now, since uh, his last 10 starts, he does have a 395 ERA with 59 strikeouts and 54 and two thirds, which is very useful in our environment today. Anything under four has got to catch your eye. So I will give Bauer credit on that, but I'm going to go ahead and take Castillo. What say you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's just hit suppression. I don't think that his you know, strikeout minus walk rate has taken leaps, leaps forward recently. I mean, he, especially he has that one standout game against Oakland with 14 strikeouts, one walk. If you sort of take that out as an aberrant, um, you know, uh, day, then everything is... Aberrant? Aberrant, aberrant, aberrant. I, just, I wasn't sure what you had said at first. I wasn't even... Yeah, you couldn't even you couldn't even parse it because it was no. so wrong. It was said so incorrectly. Remember, I lived in London for two years. They say innovative, which is just that blew my mind. Wait, what is that word? Innovative, as opposed to was it supposed to be innovative? Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't even see that word used in an advertisement. That is absolutely yeah. ridiculous. What the anyway. hell are they doing over there? Anyway, okay, okay, but yeah, Aber- so I would say that the fourteen one is aberrant, and then. I would say his average performance is something like six strikeouts and four walks or six strikeouts and three walks. Sweet. I'm all set. I think so. I yeah, mean, I'm, I'm good there. I'm there's a, been I'm a lot of hit suppression recently, but I don't know that that hit suppression is something you really want to bank on unless the guy is throwing like 70, 65% ground balls, but he isn't. So exactly. I, I like him and I like him as a person. I like, I like him as to a person him, too, because but, I, I I like the way he thinks about the game, and he is always tweaking and changing things and, and trying to get better at his craft, Trevor Bauer is, but we just haven't seen the advancements. And I will, and, you know, he's still just 26. Like, he could still move forward, but I don't think it's really happening before our eyes this year. Yeah, and you zoom out and just look at his career, 4-5 ERA, one three six whip. Is, um, you know, he's, uh, he's a major league pitcher, and he's probably a starting pitcher, but it's not... Um, 
something that we need to pick up in all leagues. One more guy, and I, I think we're both going to pick Castillo, but I just want to use it as a jump off to, to talk about this guy. Mark Leiter Jr. Uh, has jumped in the rotation and put together a, a few good starts here. And more interested in just what you think about Leiter as opposed to your pick, unless you are picking him, but I think, I think we're both picking Castillo here. But, uh, yeah, Mark Leiter Jr., I'm trying to pull up his numbers. I think his last uh, – he's jumped in for three starts here. Is it three or two? Yeah, three starts, and they've been pretty solid. Uh, six shutout in Arizona was nice with five strikeouts. He did allow four runs uh, in five innings in Seattle, but it was uh, mostly one bad inning. And then at Pittsburgh, five and a third, two runs. So Mark Leiter Jr., what are your thoughts on him going rest of the way, and, and is there any way you are taking him over Castillo? Well, you know, I think that it it is interesting. You know, we said – not to fetishize swing strike rate, but now that we have swinging strike rate for the minor leagues, especially if you're comparing like double A AA and triple A to the major leagues, I think it can be instructive to say that um, Mark Leiter got like a 11, 12. I mean, it says 17 for triple A, but that was 19, 19 innings. innings so, so let's say he, let's say he got a 12% swinging strike rate in the minor leagues. Um, this this in the in double A AA and triple A combined, right? And now he's showing a six. So I'm not saying that the six by itself says he can't get strikeouts. However, that's a sharp decrease, and it's not that it comes in a tiny sample. That's not that's 300 pitches. Uh, no, even more or less. Six hundred and ten pitches. Really bad. Like right. six. Yeah, you can't. Uh, and even as even if you just take the starts, it only goes up to six point five. So you can round if you want to be generous and say seven percent. But it does really put into focus that the sixteen strikeouts that Mark Leiter got in sixteen and a third, they might be tough to replicate unless he's got a really good called strike rate. Maybe he's learning some things from Nola. By the way, six it, distinct pitches on our site here: fastball, slider, cutter, change. Curve yeah. and split finger. I mean, I get a little bit of a kitchen sink feeling. Right. Maybe the walk rates. The walk rates all were very low in the minor leagues. So maybe there's the, the idea that he can get some called strikes um, in the future. And you know, even the projections suggest that he'll have you know a, a good strikeout rate. But I have a feeling he's going to get spanked on balls in play a little bit. I just you know a 91 mile an hour fastball with and it's and it's not straight in a good way where it's like oh this is super straight like you know Kershaw it's a very weird pitch his four seam is average average ride average horizontal below average velocity I think that pitch is going to get spanked and that's why he has a sinker and a cutter you know and a slider and a curve and a split Um, and though the split has you know decent action drops four inches more than a sinker uh, it's a, and it's a straight, a straight one that doesn't have as much sink as a sinker. So it's an interesting. I think that the splitter is probably his best pitch, uh, and, it, and it's getting above average whiffs. Nothing else is really getting above average whiffs, and to to bury bad whiffs, we knew that going in. But um, you know, I don't know if you you're kind of like a four seam split guy, but you throw a ton of pitches, and your four seam's not that good. It's kind of you know what it, it makes me think of. Uh, like bad, uh, like new velocity Junior Guerra. Oh, yeah. Because Junior not... Guerra right now is a four-seam split guy with a good splitter, but he's 91 and a half miles an hour, and look how he's been at 91 miles, 91 I, and a half I, miles an I hour. And I think he's also had some... Uh, the velocity piece is, is major, and I think that's really affecting Guerra. Um, 
this is hearsay because I, I don't have a I don't have a quote or a source, and I don't remember where I heard it. I think there was some talk about him maybe having some issue with the ball as well, uh, taking some of the feel away from his split finger mm. uh, for Junior Guerra because that that was that was his big pitch last year, and it's down in usage from twenty three to 18% this year, and I'm wondering if he's struggling to get the feel on it. In addition to losing a mile and a half per hour, those two things, all of a sudden, boom, you're giving up hella home runs, and uh, you're at a 5 ERA is what, is what we're looking at right now for, for Junior Garrett, and that's with a 7 FIP. He's at 493 ERA, 709 FIP, so there's some issues with Junior Garrett right now, and, and the walks are way up, and uh, I don't know that you can really have him in anything but a, but a really deep league right now. Yeah. All right, let's move over to some hitters. And uh, I'm just going to start with a, a general question here. Why does every shortstop suck, Eno? <laughs> I'm looking at the last – this is just in the last month, but, but it really does kind of hold on a, on a year-long trend too. But I was just looking at over the last 30 days to try to find some interesting players to talk about. And I looked at WRC Plus sort of at the top and then the bottom. And I was like, you know what, let's talk some negative. Let's just try to get a, a feel on some of these guys that aren't performing well. And the bottom six players in order – uh, in WRC Plus over the last month are all shortstops. Tim Anderson, Brandon Crawford, Jose Iglesias, Trevor Story, Jose Peraza, and Francisco Lindor. I think Lindor's the one that obviously that jumps out there because he got off to such a great start to the season. He was a very high draft pick. I know Story was too. He had an injury. There's at least like a little bit of an excuse there. But shortstop's been a nightmare. Let's, let's go ahead and you can do the process of elimination game here. Which of these guys are you... Are you genuinely concerned about in in that hey i'm going to start cutting them in 10 and 12 team i'm i'm moving away from them in 15 of these shortstops who are you most concerned about in 15 and and shallower in 15 and shallower i can't uh, you can't own tim anderson or Uh, iglesias not that he was not that he was he's just kind of thrown in there because it was all shortstops he definitely is further out from this group in general but yeah i mean that yeah, those guys. I dropped Elcides Escobar in an eighteen-team league, um, so you know, and I don't think that Tim Anderson is is demonstrably better right now. I think Elcides so, Escobar is the dead last in WRC plus for this season. By yeah, <laughs> um, and then you know, like Jose Reyes, Jorge Polanco, those types. Like I, I wouldn't have them in fifteen-team leagues either. Uh, Ledmus Diaz is in the minor league, so Jose Iglesias. So now we're actually in terms of qualified uh, starters. I've actually qualified leaderboard uh, shortstops since I've taken those five pitchers away. Those five shortstops away, we're actually at like 18. <laughs> so uh, that means that every like if you're in an 18 team league, like every shortstop that qualifies for the leaderboard has to play, and that means that uh, Dansby Swanson is a starting, uh, you know, 18 team league shortstop. Got to run it out with story. Yeah. And uh, and so story is the guy that I pick out and I and I I'm going to have a graph for everyone uh to look at uh that I made just for the the podcast. Okay. And the graph shows uh his rolling uh launch angle. So uh it's like a sort of 20 or, or yeah, I think it's 20 balls in play rolling launch angle from the beginning of the season. And if you could look at this graph, it it shows that he was not so early on. He was way too high in the air. He averaged early on in the season until May 1st. He averaged near a 40-degree launch angle. I mean, if you hit the ball 40 degrees, that's almost a pop-up, right. you know? Huh? 
No, I, I was agreeing. That's insane. Yeah, especially if it, the, the velocity is wrong. At thirty, at thirty degrees, you see a sharp drop in productivity on on balls in play, and it just they're cans of corns to the outfield basically, and then you see a sharp drop in in his rolling launch angle, and then you find um, that he got hurt. He comes back. He starts hitting too many uh, fly balls again. He it inches up to about thirty. And then ever since June 1, he's been at around 20 uh, degrees. There was a drop when, uh, I don't know, he might have gotten recently hurt again. Uh, but uh, if you want to look, let's, and I haven't actually done this. I just wanted to see where he's been normal. And I would say in June, he was normal. So now I want to go look and see. It's, it's kind of fun when you do the endpoints thing without looking at the results so you can't sort of, um, Skew it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll just look at standard splits because uh, June was um, June was story, what I'm looking by the for. Way that yeah. we're looking at after the injury. So in his uh, in June, Trevor Story hit two sixty four, three oh nine, three forty one. It's not amazing, but it's it's back to a two sixty four average, and it, we know that he hits for power. So you're you've he's he's sort of realigned become more normal and if you add in the power back he even had 200 isos in the other seasons in other in the other uh months uh i think you could get something like right now his july is 250 uh, obp um you know 357 slugging um and it has such a terrible batting average that his iso is good so if you put a 200 iso into that fir- that june line his regular iso you get 264, 309, 450, 460. And that starts to be a and that's, lot more that's, useful. That's Trevor's story. I mean, that's, yes. that's, that's who he used to be. Um, that's who he was last year, you know, uh, with keep a little mind, bit of extra luck. Uh, it looks like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Only nine of his June games were at home. Yeah. And so maybe, you know, I don't know what their, what their breakdown looks like right now, home and away, but if they've got some more home games coming up. Um, hopefully Trevor Story can kind of get going. You know, I, I was really big on him this year, and obviously it's, it has not panned out to the level that I, that I thought it would. Uh, I know the injury, again, builds in a little bit of an excuse there, but he just hasn't been good. I just have a hard time cutting somebody who's going to play every day in Coors Field, though. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think this also works in, you know, the, the, the terribleness of the of, of – the, uh, position works in his favor yes definitely it, you know worst case scenario hits 230 with 20 home runs and you had you know maybe one of the worst regulars in your uh in your in your league uh but at least he was a regular you know <laughs> at least he even, got you some home runs and even with know. all of his crap trevor stories 27th on the espn player rater among shortstops that number is not going to shock you but the fact that he's above addison russell brandon crawford and i would take him over brandon crawford going forward I would too, and I wouldn't yeah. even really think about it. Like it would, and it I would might an take him play. over Russell. Russell, you know, I still like the the, the in- incremental improvements in terms of strikeout rate and walk rate. And there's, you know, maybe his figures his life out and uh, and goes on a nice tear. You know, he doesn't have the the batting average floor, the floor of a Trevor Story. But if you're choosing between Story and Russell, you may not be having a great season. 
And so you may just want to take Story and go for Broke. You exactly. Know? You pick up Story and Castillo. You're trying to catch lightning in a bottle with a flamethrower and, and, a, and a potential stud in Coors Field. Like those are the kind of picks that you start to make when you're languishing in sixth through eighth place without looking like you have much hope. So I'm with you there. But we got to talk Lindor. He's 15th now, you know, on the ESPN player radar. That batting average uh, is now a net negative, and that was supposed to be the, the, the thing that was going to carry him. Uh, you know, those that maybe weren't as high on Lindor would say, okay, well, the power is going to come off, uh, drop down. That's fine. I know that the batting average is going to be there. He had 313 in the 99-game sample of 2015, and he hit 301 last year. You're figuring average and speed I'm going to get. If I get power, it's gravy. Well, he's got 14 homers compared to 15 all of last year, but he's hitting 246 with three stolen bases. He's only 23, so I'm certainly not worried long-term. This is not a long-term concern for me, even 1% with Lindor. But the here and now, those in a redraft league that expected him to be a foundational piece are not getting that. What do they do, Eno? What are you doing with Lindor? I think you hope that there's an adjustment to be made. Um, he's a very talented player that has managed to be good despite, I think, probably hitting the ball too much in the air right now. He got um, a little homer happy, didn't he? Yeah, I, I think he did. I, I feel like he he got a little bit hyped on it and, and maybe just lost his way a little bit. I, and that's, that's speculation. That's anecdotal. I, no, I have... no, no. It's not because he had a 28% fly ball rate the last two years, and it's 43% this year. Holy I mean, what... shit. That's insane. Pardon my language. That's nuts, dude. It's a big difference. That's insane difference. I can't tell okay. you're making fun of me. No, 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 no. I, I didn't know. I don't have yeah, Lindor yeah. anywhere. I legitimately yeah. did not know that. So it's not yeah. anecdotal. That no, is 100% he's definitely true. going for the going for the fences. Oh my it's god! Team elevate. It's a big difference. It's I thought it was going to be like 32. When you, I, yeah, I thought you were going to say no, like five, no, no, six no. percentage points. That's, That's a big difference. Nuts. It's almost like you could almost tell the Yonder Alonso story here, except that he was so good before. Uh, you know, I'd probably, I'd probably take the old version of Lindor over the current version, but, you know, he might, you might look up and he might have 30 home runs at the end of the season. You know, how sad are you going to be if it's with a 260 average? I think he'll, he'll, he'll manage to keep a lot of his value. Hopefully he'll steal a couple more bases. Uh, maybe maybe his old habits will come back and he'll he'll start to level out a little bit. But here's um, what I will say: at least he's not striking out a ton more, right? He has altered the the swing path there, where he's obviously hitting the ball in the air a lot more. Lindor is, yeah. But from thirteen percent to fourteen percent, and really only it's a really only a, like a half percentage when you look at it. It's twelve nine to thirteen five. Yeah. So it's not even that much. I it's do a lot like of balls in play. Like he doesn't need to have a two fifty ball a babbit. Like mean, even with the change in fly ball rate, like. I don't know that he he deserves a 250 Babbitt. In fact, would you go try uh, to buy him? Would you go try to buy Lindor right yeah, now I think and, and I get would. any discount you can? Like, you're not going to get him. I don't for- know if I would I would buy him um, as a uh, stolen base asset though. I mean, if I was looking for stolen bases, in fact, I, will, I there's one name I wanted to uh, point out that I didn't yet. Um, I just want to real quickly. Uh, Lindor's uh, x Babbitt or x average is 287. Oh, okay. So you can't blame all those fly balls on – you can't blame his 250 Babbitt on all the fly balls. He should be hitting 287. So he's getting so, some bad luck too. Yes, there is some bad luck there. So if you want to buy him as a batting average power shortstop and you think that the guy is like – the guy that's looking at him is saying that he's going to be like a Trevor Story type or something all of a sudden, uh, then yes, go buy him. 
Uh, but the other name I wanted to bring up was Peraza. I know Peraza's WRC plus is bad. However, uh, and I know that even his expected average is only 266. However, however, however. Stephen A. Smith, however, <laughs> um, what I, I wanted to point out that he's stealing bases and nobody's yep. stealing bases. He's so 15 for 19 too, like and great success. The Reds don't care. They obviously don't care. They've done. They've been running Billy Hamilton out there forever. <laughs> yep. Billy Jose Peraza is Billy Hamilton part two, and I don't even think that they might even be zigging where other people are zagging. Like if you have a team where everything else is good, and Peraza and Hamilton are your shortstop and center fielder, like you might not even be that bad. You might be Especially running on some fools that, that can't that don't have catchers that can throw you out anymore. Mm-hmm. They're they're good on defense, and maybe you stick them in your six, seven, eight, nine holes, and like they just sort of run on people and 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 get out there. So and and I'm assuming that you've got Duvall, Shebler, Vado, and you you figure something else out at second or third. You know, like that. There's a little Jeanette. bit more growth as a team. Jeanette's yeah, a you know, like I, I I don't think that they're the problem. The problem with the Reds is pitching the problem is not yeah. peraza and hamilton and That's i think they're going to continue to run out peraza especially if they can they can trade cozart the only worry would be that they can't trade cozart and they want to play scooter and peraza loses playing time but i still think even then he'll be a super util uh that they play all over you know and, and still find some some value so i think i went and bought peraza in my 18 team league where i had you know I was starting Angelton Simmons. I keep Angelton Simmons, but now I have Peraza to sort of, you know, roll in there to and roll really out. Really jumpstart the stolen Actually, bases. no, I used Simmons, I think, to buy Peraza because I was like, I'd rather – nobody has stolen bases. I want to have stolen bases. I know Simmons is hitting the ball harder, but I want stolen bases. Stolen bases are so rare. They just yeah. – they're so damn rare. So I totally get that. Um, okay, let's move on to a couple guys that uh, folks are definitely losing hope with, and I want your outlook the rest of the way. Carlos Gonzalez and, and Rugnet Odor, um, they've been disappointing. There's really no other way to slice it. Carlos Gonzalez has been a freaking nightmare, dude. And we talk about how, you know, Coors will protect you from different things. Like, you can only go so low because you got Coors there. He has a 50 WRC+. plus. Maybe WRC+, plus isn't fair because, that, because of Coors. Fine. It's a 643 OPS. <laughs> like, it's been rough. But then I look at the skills, and I'm like, his walk rate's at a career high. His strikeout rate is is static, 20.4 to 20.7. You know, it's a 262 Babbitt, which is the the lowest we've ever seen. Now, are some of these things happening because of, you know, maybe he's nicked and he's not getting, you know, as many hard hits as possible? 37% to 29% hard contact rate. He's pulling the ball a lot more, so maybe he's, he's making easy outs that way. What the hell is going on with Carlos Gonzalez, and, and is there any hope? Yeah, I think that's pulling the ball on the ground is the problem. He's uh, got his, his highest ground ball rate and his highest pull rate, and that's not a good combo. You, you're, you're putting the ball on the ground, and you're putting it right to a defender. As a, left, as a left-hander in particular, you're pulling it right into the shift. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a problem. And the the only question is, can he re- you know is he hurt? Can he rectify himself? Because it's not a question of being unlucky on balls in play. Really, his his expected average is two sixty four with a three thirty six OBP and a four oh eight slugging. I mean, that's you always bought Carlos Gonzalez for the slugging yep. uh, with the good average, and the two sixty four is not going to cut it. And it also looks a lot like what he's projected to do minus power that's not even in his projection so like i wouldn't 
I wouldn't just say, oh, Coors and he'll be fine and, you know, he's done He's done it forever. You know, 2014, he played poorly, then he was hurt, and he was out, you know. I, that's uh, that what we're tracking that toward, too. Yeah. I, I really think it, 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 it's feeling like with everything else kind of in place except for that pull ground ball stuff um, that he might just be hurt and he's just not – maybe there's something in his base. He can't get his power from there. Or I, I don't know what – I don't know if Carlos Gonzalez, if anyone well, knows. he was he, – he had a shoulder problem that he's okay. on the DL for. So, okay, that, that, I that forgot be... about that. I don't have them anywhere, and I, I, yeah. I sometimes lose sight of guys when I don't have them on a roster anywhere, and I apologize for that. So I didn't but, know that. But, you know, David Dahl is starting to hit again. Uh, you have a demonstrated track record of power for him. Uh, they'd be really excited to get him back. And, you know, if David Dahl comes back and Carlos Gonzalez, uh, you know, says the shoulder hurts again, then the team says, you know what, we want you right for September. Uh, and that's great for Carlos Gonzalez. And maybe comes back in September is great. However, that's not great for the rest of us uh, okay. trying to, to get some value out of that. So 10 and 12 team, you're cutting him, right? Or you've, yeah. you've probably already cut him. 10, he's gone. 12, he's on my bench, and I'm trying as hard as I can to keep him. But if, if it gets down to that DL crunch or, you know, maybe Dahl is available and you finally get a timetable on his return, like, I'd rather jump on Dahl and, mm-hmm. and, and try and, you know, catch that lightning in the bottle than, you know, be sort of grasping at straws with a 32-year-old hurt Carlos Gonzalez, you know. What about Rugnet Odor? Because I, I mentioned that, that he's been struggling because he has 213 251 393 you can't really justify that triple slash but he's one of those guys where he's hurting you in that aspect for sure but he's not killing your fantasy team because you have 15 homers and nine stolen bases out of your second base position so you know i can understand why folks will be mad about the terrible batting average but it's not one of those where Rugnet Odor is the reason I'm losing, unless you're losing by, like, 25 batting average points or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like, that'd be the only way because he's still giving you production in the counting categories. Is there any hope for him <laughs> to get the, the triple slash back up to, you know, even the 265 that uh, I, I kind of ex- – I thought, I thought he would hit, like, 250, 265 this year, and he's at 213. What, what's up with the Odor? Here's, here's, a fun, here's a fun thing. His expected average is 233. Oh man, there's tons totally, of movement. Totally been there. unlucky. Yeah, man, come on. He, never mind. Next case, he's obviously he, just been super unlucky. Let's I wouldn't him. be surprised if he was number one in pop-ups in the league. Got to be right. He's got to be. He's got 21 percent infield fly ball rate, and you say you multiply the two, right? 20% right. So basically, 20%. you're looking at an eight percent pop-up rate, and yeah, that's insane. League average is three and a half percent. That's insane. He's dude. double the 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 league average, and he has a history of this problem. Last year, the 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 aberrant that was actually last year was the 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 aberrant 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 aluminium aberrant aluminium. Last year was the aluminium year. He was using an aluminium bat last year, <laughs> so he was able to hit thirty-two homers. No, but last year he like all of a sudden his 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 pop-up rate was like league average with a higher fly ball rate, which was crazy, right? Yeah. Forty-two percent so. career high, but then an eight percent infield fly ball rate for Odor. So yeah, it's been interesting. He's a pop-up machine. He's he's just going for power all the time, right? I mean, you can yeah. watch and you can see that uppercut swing. Yeah. He's just trying to go yard and punch Jose Bautista in the face. I'm 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 not I'm not cutting him anywhere, man. He's still he stole nine bases. I'm no, happy about that. You, you know, can't I think cut him. thirty and fifteen. I mean, if you want to trade him, I mean. Batting average itself is just such a hard, uh, a hard place to go. But like, you know, and then you you add in the fact that I mean he's starting for you at second base. So, you know, like what 
All right, so let's see here. Um, let me do uh, second baseman. Oh, you're not going to let me do that? <laughs> you got shut down. No, yeah. Uh, I'm actually working on a X stats that a- a- Andrew's working on right now. So he's like... <laughs> get out of there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I am. I'm like, get out of there. And he won't let me edit position right now for some reason because he's doing something. Anyway, uh, what are you going to do at second base? I mean... That's uh, the thing, too. It's not like it's been super deep. Yeah. So, I mean, the, that, that's the thing. As much as Who, he's struggling, I don't see another route that you go. And who do you trust? Like, batting average is such a hard thing to trust. Chasing batting averages. In 10 teams leagues, you have to draft for batting average because chasing batting average is impossible. And the the thing that happens in a 10-team league is that the batting average is, is, a, is a big, like, di- differentiator. So, yes, it is. You know, you know in you terms of... Because you can find somebody hitting hitting 265, 270 on the wire with the home runs and steals. Maybe not the steals, but with the home runs of a lot of guys. You need the guy who's hitting 341 with 14 home runs like Daniel Murphy. Yeah. Instead, you've got Rugnett And who can, you tr- who can you trade for using Odor? I mean, uh, Daniel Murphy, he's hitting all the home runs. So you're going to really, you know, you're really going to sell the, his, uh, Danny Murphy's owner on like eight extra stolen bases? No, Maybe. No, you've got to give Odor and, and a stud pitcher yeah, to get yeah. Murphy. And then are you, aren't you losing anyway? So I, I think you guys And then you're probably getting the wrong side of Murphy's batting average. I'm not saying you're going to get, get like, you know, 260, but you, you're not getting 340 going forward. So. Yeah, what if he only hits t- 285 the rest of the way? That, you wouldn't be mad at that, but you need. How much are you getting from you that? You need yeah. to find the guy. Guys who are going to hit 330, and that's that's DJ Lemayhu is a pretty solid bet for 300 average. You be you be shooting yourself in the foot in every other category, and you I think missed o- a lot of his surge right because he was hitting 250 a, yeah. a blink ago. Lemayhu was, and he's been on a huge. Pedroia run. looks like burnt toast, man. To me, Absolutely. he looks like he's old. I can't he believe gotta, he has a three of one average. He's got to be hurt. It's yeah. so empty. It's yeah. so empty, dude. Like so. His slug is high, uh, lower s- than his on base. Scope has no history of it. D. Gordon has been a little bit up and down. Whit Merrifield is Whit Merrifield. You're not going to trade for him, you know. Don I'm Castro's I'm just going hurt. down the list in batting average. So Josh Harrison at 280. Maybe you believe in that. He has some home runs, some steals. Maybe you could do an Odor for Harrison plus. Maybe you know Odor for maybe you go reverse two for one. But but if Harrison hits 280 the rest of the way. And Odor hits two forty. Like, what are you really gaining? Yeah, or two two thirty three versus. Yeah, even if it, even if it's the the, the two thirty. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's a couple. Just, yeah, you're starting. I mean, it, yeah, it's starting to get to the point where you, the, that gap is not enough. I think I'll take Har- my shot on Odor hitting two seventy the rest of the way. I, it's not a high likelihood, but I'll take my shot on over that trading for Harrison and yep. and. But you can maybe get an upgrade somewhere else. And Harrison's batting average, I think I'd I'd bet on a little bit more. I would or trade you, elsewhere for that's what I would do is I would yeah. just keep Odor and I would trade elsewhere to address the batting average. Accept what Odor's doing and trade elsewhere. That's why I didn't yeah. draft Odor though because he's a batting average. Or nightmare. just or, or go to the D Gordon guy and say you know I need steals. You know Odor is going to get you a ton of power from the same position. You know if I need and to get, give, and you, give you some steals back, like you're not taking a total yeah, loss. Some some outfielder who steals a couple bases and trying to go that direction. That's about that's about it. I mean, that's otherwise you're pretty much stuck with Odor. Yep, yep. You gotta do that. All right, it's last one bad. here. Um, are you holding Jonathan Lucroy in one catcher leagues? He's twenty fifth right. in WRC plus among catchers. Minimum one hundred and fifty plate appearances. Yeah, and it doesn't get any better if you look at you know what he's doing on balls and play and. 
you know, I we started this podcast off air talking about how we both just lost Evan Mezzarocco mm-hmm. and, you know, what of our options and one of the options that came up was uh, you know, vote Jonathan vote in Milwaukee Stephen versus vote. You know, Stephen vote in Milwaukee versus I know I see that guy all the time. I just call him Jonathan, that's great. Uh, Stephen vote in Milwaukee versus Jonathan Lucroy. And I think I'm going to take vote because he's just he, he's not only is he mashing, but he just went into a different park environment. And I don't see much the you know Jonathan Lucroy's expected batting average is 270. Well, that's higher than his actual batting average. But guess what? His expected slugging percentage is 379. It's yeah. not. It's it's uh, it's empty batting average without much batting average. You know, it's uh, he's expected to have uh, four homers. What did, did he just get beat up behind the dish? Is he playing through something? Because like I man. asked him about it, and I I couldn't get a good answer. I, I you know, I do think that to some extent, uh, he, we did talk a little bit about like catchers having to plan for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the team and having to you know kind of be everything to everyone, kind of yeah. plan all the pitchers' game themselves. plans. Uh, yeah, and so when he was talking about you know what he needed to do to to be uh to be himself he was like i don't think it's anything big i you know i can't this is nothing right yeah and it was it was like a month ago and it hasn't gotten better since i I, i'm sort of grasping at straws but it doesn't make me um it doesn't make me feel like uh i could rather have a narrative i'd rather have something narrative side though is there anything to the fact that maybe now he's not so happy in Texas with maybe some rumors floating out about trading him. And is it starting to get a little toxic there? And maybe that's playing. I don't know. Like you never know on those things for sure, unless a player comes out and says it, but is that going to now snowball on itself where it's like, now he's trying to come out of it all in one game. And obviously you're not going to turn it all around in one game. Is the well poisoned in Texas at this point, or is it, or is it just normal rumors and he can take it? Cause he, he didn't have a trouble. He didn't have any trouble with the rumors last year. And you know, Texas should be helping him along. He, he should be. He should be having better numbers than his expected numbers because we can't necessarily adjust for park factors on on uh, that uh, Statcast stuff because the samples are too low to mm-hmm. to really um, know what every park does. You know, beyond we can we can do temperature and that sort of stuff, but we can't um, you know correct for walls and stuff like that. Uh, only... Until we have a ton of balls in play, so you know, you know, what's where's it going to go that he's going to get more help from the park? N- definitely not anywhere that I can think of. Like unless Colorado swoops in and says we're done with the Tony Walters, Tom Murphy, which I don't think they would be though. That's two young catchers who can catch, youngish. Um, obviously, they would probably have to move one back in that deal, but I don't. That's just obviously the most. Uh, blatantly favorable park. I'm not saying that's where he's going to go or that they're even looking for a catcher, but I agree with you. Where the heck else would he go that would really benefit Jonathan Lucroy? So I don't know, man. Uh, but the question is, one catcher leagues. You got you're going to cut him and 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 try to pick up a vote, or um, you know Robinson Chirinos, who they've been in pretty much a 50-50 timeshare. Uh, Mike Zanino came back to earth because, of course, he did. He was not changed at all. Any any of you that were suckered by it are suckers. Um, but he's even looking better than Lucroy at this point. So what do you, what do you do? You know, I I move on. I mean, 
the only place that I'm holding on to Lucroy is 15 team league, I guess. You know, uh, and only two catcher. You, yeah, you got to hold a two catcher, but um, yeah. single catcher leagues. I think it's time to move on. Yeah, which seems crazy, but because um, I don't even think you know. Usually, when you have a name value like that, I say, well, we'll investigate a trade. I don't think anybody's trading you anything for him because they know that you're going to cut him anyway. So they probably just say, no, 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 go ahead and cut him. I'm going to pick him up for nothing. I'm not going to give you damn thing. So I think that's the way you got to go. All right, you know, that's going to wrap it up. I got yeah, I, I, I rescinded a trade offer to somebody. Uh, I rescinded a trade offer to somebody to, to for Lucroy just because I was poking around his numbers and was like, uh, I don't like it. <laughs> no, you don't, don't. you don't want that on your team. Yeah. You, you just you can't right now. Let that be somebody else's problem. We got enough problems at other spots. Uh, catcher's already a nightmare. I don't want a, a headache with my catcher uh, any more than it has to be. So I'm, I'm moving on from Lucroy in one catcher leagues, 10 to 12 team mixers. Um, two, two, two catcher, you just got to ride it out. You know, that's going to wrap us up for today. Uh, we will be back next week talking more baseball. Uh, good talking with you, and I'll talk to you next week. Yes, yes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>